I just want everybody to be able to sit here and rejoice with me, at least if you're living in parts of the world that actually experience winter. But I just need y'all to know that winter is upon us. I walked outside for the first time this week where that when I walked back inside, I could no longer feel my hands or my ears and my nose turned red. And for many people, that may be a sign of terror, of discomfort, maybe some sadness because they no longer have the warm heat of summer and fall. But for me, that was a sign of joy because I absolutely love winter. I'll gladly sacrifice feeling in my extremities if it means that I get to breathe in the nice cold winter air. You can just smell winter. That's something you can smell winter. I don't know if you guys have experienced that, but I certainly have. So I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about the fact that we're finishing up Ephesians 3 today. We are chugging along. We got a few more chapters left in our series going through Ephesians. I hope you guys have enjoyed it so far. I know I certainly have. Um, I've definitely learned a lot more about Ephesians and what's going on and kind of the main message. That's something I've I've noticed and learned throughout these series is that, you know, j- just like many of you, I- I've read through, you know, all the various the books and especially in the New Testament, you know, I've, I've read through them a couple times and read through certain passages multiple times. I can maybe even quote some of them to you, but I I come to realize that I don't actually have as complete or at least as abundant of an understanding of a lot of the Bible just by kind of reading through it like it's a chapter book. I noticed that when I sit down and do these studies where I'll I'll sit there and focus on verse by verse, spend a lot of time with every word that's being said, I start to understand the full scope of what the message is. I, I've noticed this a ton with Ephesians, the main message that Paul is giving and how it all ties back to the knowledge of God. And, and that's something that I never would have noticed if I did not sit through Ephesians and give it the time that it's due. And I feel like that's the same way with the entire Bible. If you go back through and look at the series that we've done so far, you know, going through Romans, going through the first two chapters of Genesis, going through Ephesians, um, we've gained a, a really deep understanding of these passages. And because of that understanding, we're able to then look at new passages that we read in other books of the Bible. And it gives us insight as to what's kind of going on and some of the themes that are at play. Because when you understand that the Bible, although it has many separate books written by separate people meant for separate audiences and often dealing with separate issues, you understand that it's one unified story. And it's one unified story that ultimately leads back to Jesus. And so a lot of these themes and a lot of the things that we uncover when we dive deep and and intentional into the scripture, um, they start to replay themselves throughout the Bible. So I'm excited that we're getting through chapter three. I'm ready for chapter four uh, to really get deep into our study. But today we're going to be finishing up. We're going to be going through verse 16 all the way down to 21. We're going to read through it like we always do, then break it down verse by verse. This time I'm going to start in verse 14, just so we can understand um, the context that Paul is speaking into. So let's go ahead and read it. 
Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So let's go back through this. Uh, let's go back through verse 14 going into 16. Um, for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, into verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So so last episode, if you haven't listened to it already, we, we covered verses 14 and 15. And we looked at the importance of God giving the name of his family, the families that are on heaven and earth. I thought it was really cool and interesting. So if you haven't listened to that, I'd recommend listening to that if you haven't, because it, it really does help us understand what our role is, not just as followers of God, but as human beings in general. But let's look at verse 16 here. And this one is quite interesting as well because we're told that through God's Spirit, we are gifted strength, power, because of His riches of glory. Now, it's important to first understand what kind of power we're talking about here. What, what, what is this strength that we're receiving? And I don't want us to get power hungry and start thinking that we are meant to rule over everyone and everything. There are unfortunately teachers and preachers that would look at a verse like this and say, ah, see, you've been given power, which means if you pray enough for power, God will give you victory over any and everything that you look at. This is not the type of power that Paul is talking about. This this power that we're given is not one of physical strength. Um, otherwise, our churches would be filled with a bunch of jacked old ladies. <laughs> uh, and, and the power isn't talking about societal pull, like uh, political power or um, like the power of royalty or a king or president. It's not talking about any sort of power that helps us lord something over another human being made in the image of God. And how do we know this? Well, in the immediate context, Paul just got done informing the believers that he's writing to that he's in prison. He does so at the beginning of chapter 3 in verse 1. He does so in chapter 4 in verse 1. He does again in chapter 6, verse 20. And if you remember back to verse 13 that we covered a few episodes ago, Paul says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So we're told that Paul is, is suffering. We're told that Paul has been imprisoned, and we know from other writings in the Bible that Paul has been treated very bad. So 
if the strength and the power that Paul is talking about here that that believers are supposed to receive from the spirit if this strength and power is one of physical might over your enemies or political power to make people do what you want you would think that Paul along with the other apostles would have been able to wield that power to force their enemies to stand down after all we're supposed to use this power because we're told that the spirit is giving it to us so if the spirit is giving us power over our enemies whether it's through physical means or through political or um, kind of religious power then we would expect to see the disciples use this but they don't However, if this strength of power that we're given is that of a spiritual nature, if it's spiritual strength, then it stands to reason that Paul would be able to endure the numerous encounters of imprisonment and pain and infliction and suffering in the moments like this. It's moments like this that Paul is in where he's in prison and he's suffering for the believers that he is destined to serve, you would think that, hey, maybe the reason why this man is able to endure all of this junk that he has been dealt from the people that oppose Jesus, the only reason that makes sense why he's able to do this is because he's been given a, a spiritual and a mental strength that helps his faith be preserved in difficult times. Now, this strength that we're given, this power that we're given by the Spirit, it does not only imply the ability to go through hard times. It also implies the ability to properly represent God as his image in those hard times. But more importantly, in general, because in other words, this strength gives us the ability to live more like Jesus. And when you look at the greater narrative that Paul has been writing throughout these last three chapters, he told us straight out, or he told the believers that he's writing to, and us incidentally, straight out that before Jesus, before you were given the gifts of the Spirit, before you were given forgiveness and grace and mercy, you were a child of this world. You were children of wrath. You walked in accordance to the authority and the power. Of Satan. That is what we all were before Jesus. But Paul then reminds them, after mentioning that a chapter ago, that, hey, you've been given strength. You've been given a power from the Spirit, and it's a power on the inside, a, a power that is on the inside because the thing that was killing you before, the thing that was leading you to a destiny of death before was something that was wrong with you on the inside. And so this strength that the Spirit is giving, it's the strength that allows us and helps us to be able to live and love like Jesus. Because we're not just called to accept Jesus and to believe in him and to put our trust in him. We're also called as his church, as his body, to be his, his image here on earth, 
That's what we, we were created to do. Going back to the last episode in verse 14 and 15, God gave us our names. He gave us our function and our purpose, and that was to be made in his image. And as we all know, as people who have sinned and are still sinning and falling short every day but have also been forgiven and our lives have been changed, we understand that it is a daily battle to fight against our old self to fight against the sinful desires of our flesh in the world that we live in in order to live and to walk like Jesus. And that requires a strength, and that is a strength that we did not have before. You want to know why I know that we didn't have it before? Because if we had that strength before, we wouldn't have been living in sin. But each and every one of us was before Jesus. So we've been given this power. We've been given this strength. And what's interesting to note as well is the word that Paul uses for strengthened here in verse uh, 16. It's also the word that's used to speak about John the Baptist and Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 1 and 2, I thought this was really cool. Uh, We see this first in Luke chapter 1 verse 80, and uh, this verse is referring to John the Baptist. It says, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So once again, this verse is referring to John the Baptist uh, when he was yet a baby in his mother's womb. And we're told that he grew up and he became strong in spirit. The same word for strong there is the same word that Paul uses for strengthened. For us being strengthened in the spirit. Isn't that interesting? And if there's anything that we know about John the Baptist, it's that he had an unbelievable spiritual strength to be able to be the first one to announce God on earth, Jesus Christ himself, while also standing in the faith, in the face of scrutiny and death. But we also hear this same phrase and the same word used to speak about Jesus in the next chapter. This one's really cool. Here in chapter 2, verse 39 through 40, And when they, Mary and Joseph, had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child, Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So here, Jesus is said to have the same thing happen to him, growing and becoming strong and being filled with wisdom. So both John the Baptist and Jesus are said to have this same sort of strength that Jesus himself gives us. And notice how with that strength, neither John nor Jesus aim to have social or political power. They didn't view this strength as some sort of physical prowess to force people to listen and to follow them. However, we do see a, an abundance of spiritual strength that's used as a tool to help them through times of trial and suffering, and it allowed them to fully trust God and walk in accordance of his plan. And this is the same type of strength that we're granted in the Spirit. The same strength that helped Jesus is the same strength that he put in us. But let's continue, uh, because Paul continues, and he continues on to give some reasons 
for this strength and power, some reasons as to why we're given this strength and power. He says in verse 17, uh, hey, you're given the strength and power from the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, there's more to this verse to finish off verse 17, but I want to focus on the first part. And we'll get to that, but this is this is so profound, and this needs to be looked at a bit deeper. When I broke down this verse and I, I understood it in the context, it actually kind of blew my mind a little bit because we, we're told that we are given this, this strengthening of power, not so we can rule over others or win arguments or anything like that. Rather, we're given this, this strengthening of power so that Jesus may dwell in our hearts. Isn't that interesting? You would assume that we would be given the strength of power so that we can kind of get through, you know, hard times. And I'm not saying that that's not a reason, but that's not the reason that Paul is pointing out. We are given this strength of power so that Jesus can dwell in our hearts. And how does he dwell in our hearts? Well, Paul says it's through faith. So we're given this strength so that we can have faith. Now, this makes sense to me because if you think back to the time that Paul's writing in, in a time where you were being persecuted for simply believing in Jesus, I can only imagine the amount of strength you would need in order to keep a true and deep faith in Jesus Christ. But but clearly, this faith in Christ is necessary for him to dwell within you. Now, it seems to me that Paul is making a callback here to what he said back in chapter 2. Remember, we, we made a big deal about this because this was really profound. Remember how Paul says at the end of chapter 2 that the whole body of Christ is made as a dwelling place for God. This was Paul's way of saying that the believers, that for the believers, in order for them to be in the midst of God's presence, they need to be a part of his body, a part of his church. You can't just simply separate yourself from other believers over petty disagreements and expect to still reap its fruit, expect to still be in the full presence of God. In chapter 2, Paul made it very clear that the body, the, the church, is the new temple, the new dwelling place. And it really does seem like Paul is making a callback here because similarly, here in chapter 3, verse 17, Paul is saying that it takes strength to have the faith needed, to have Christ dwell within your heart. And a part of this faith is trusting in Jesus. And this is, this is what Paul is, is basically saying here to the believers that he's writing to. He's saying a part of this faith is trusting in Jesus and his union of the Jew and the Gentile more than the trusting of your understanding of various disagreements and various traditions that you have always held and that you have had and that is causing you and the other believers in this situation to separate. Do you follow the train of thought there? Not only, not only is Paul saying in chapter 2 that, hey, uh, you know, 
Christ broke down these walls of division, right? He broke down the wall of division for circumcision and all the various traditions in the law and all the various laws of the law of Moses. Uh, that no longer is a requirement for salvation. That's what Paul is saying. He's telling to the Jews, uh, hey, drop it, right? He's telling to the Gentiles, hey, you guys were far off. You were not included in any of this, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ, you are now brought in to the whole family. And he wraps that up nicely, and he says, look, you all together, the full body of Christ together, you are the dwelling place of God. You are the temple. So Jews, uh, you no longer find God dwelling in the physical temple that once excluded the Gentiles. And Gentiles, you have to now be a part of this body. You have to let go of all your pagan gods and all your pagan rituals and all your moral failures. You need to follow Jesus. And this is where God dwells. And now here in chapter 3, verse 17, he's saying also, hey, you have to have this strength of power from the Spirit because you need it so that Christ can dwell in your hearts and he only dwells in your heart if you have faith. And that faith entails what Paul wrote about in chapter 2, that Jesus was enough. That Jesus was enough to break the chains that the law of Moses had when it came to being seen as righteous and sinless in the eyes of God. Jesus broke the chains of the law of Moses that said, if you do not follow these, if you are a Gentile, you are not being brought in to the covenant promise. And Paul is saying that you need to have enough strength of power from the Spirit in order to have the faith that is necessary for you to understand what Jesus did so that you can have Christ dwell in your heart. Because if you do not have faith that Jesus actually did or can do or will do what I have written about in these last three chapters, then you're not going to be able to accept the fact that you all need to come together under one headship, which is Jesus Christ. You have to have faith in order to do that. And Paul says you have to have the power and the strength that can only be achieved through the spirit and the spirit can only be and the spirit can only give that if you have faith in Christ and this seems to be Paul's argument here because the rest of verse 17 says that this faith we have should come from a, a specific type of person look at the rest of verse 17 going into verse 19 Paul says that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So there's kind of an expectation for believers that, that if we want Christ to dwell in our hearts, that we need strength. We just covered this. We need strength of the power that's given from the Spirit. We need to have strength to have this faith that is necessary. But we also need to be rooted and grounded in love. And we also need the strength to understand the vastness and fullness and the supernatural power of God's love. Because these are concepts 
These are things that the world will call crazy. These are concepts that are so unbelievably hard to fathom because we have never seen them played out in front of our own eyes ever, and we never, ever will. The only time that we have seen this being played out is through Jesus Christ himself. So you can imagine how it's hard to wrap our heads around, to even comprehend how much Jesus loves us. Paul says it surpasses knowledge. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. I cannot conceptualize it. I cannot put it into words for any of you to understand. But Paul prays that they not only have strength to have faith, he also prays that they have strength so that they can be rooted and grounded in love and also that they can have strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. And this love, as we're told, it surpasses knowledge. And this, this makes sense, especially in this context, because it probably makes absolutely zero sense to the Jews and the Gentiles here as to why they're all of a sudden supposed to be joined together when for their entire history, they were purposely separated. But, you know, there are, there are just some things that we are either not meant to or we cannot understand. And one of those things that we cannot fully understand is God's love for his creation. And this love, sometimes it looks like justice. Or injustice. I think back to the story of Jacob, Jacob and Esau. And I remember reading that story a couple years ago when I was kind of getting, when I was kind of questioning my faith and reading back through the Bible to, you know, to just try and understand it a little bit better. And I remember reading through the story of Jacob and Esau. I've heard about it a hundred times, but I actually read through it. And I remember reading it, and, you know, I, I had always known that, oh, you know, Jacob was Israel, right? Like, yeah, Jacob was this, this guy that God chose, so he must have been good. And I remember reading what Jacob did to Esau and how he deceived and lied to his father. Just a, a utterly terrible thing that Jacob did. And then a little bit later in the story, we're told that God ends up blessing him. And using Jacob as the one that's going to bring about God's family, Israel. I mean, his name is Israel. The whole family of Israel is named after Jacob. And this absolutely made no sense to me. And I remember going to my grandma and saying, hey, grandma, uh, make this make sense. Why is it that Jacob doing this terrible thing, being a snake, like that's just how Jacob acted. He acted like the snake in the Garden of Eden. So. It doesn't seem fair. Like, why did God end up, like, blessing him and protecting him and making his name ultimately great and go down in history? Like, that doesn't seem fair. And my grandma said something along the lines of, yeah, grace doesn't always seem fair, but that's why it's grace. God gave Jacob grace when he ultimately didn't deserve it. And so sometimes I, I still can't understand it, right? I, I know why God did it in a way. I, I know that he did it. I get that. I've, you know, I'm fine with it, right? 
because it's God and he can do whatever he wants, but I don't understand it. And honestly, I don't think I'm ever going to understand it. But sometimes God's love and God's grace looks like justice for some and it looks like injustice to others. And certainly for some of the believers here, especially the Jews, the inclusion of sinful Gentiles might have felt like an injustice. But, you know, this is why Paul prays that the believers will be granted strength, a strengthening of power, so that they can put their faith in Christ and trust that he knows best, not only for the sake of their neighbors, but also for themselves. Because when our faith is put in Christ, as Paul tells us, then he can dwell in our hearts, and when he dwells in our hearts, we can then learn to love like he loves and give out mercy and blessing like God gives out mercy and blessing. On to the last few verses here. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So what I said just a second ago, that with Christ dwelling in our hearts, we can learn to love like Jesus and learn to operate like Jesus. I want to look at verse 20 again. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. The power at work within us. That's the same power that Paul has been describing throughout this entire letter. The power of Christ to be able to join together the puzzle pieces that formerly wouldn't fit. The power of Christ to destroy barriers that once divided. The power of Christ to take sinners like you and me from a place of destruction and wrath to a place in God's holy family. That is the power at work within us. And it would be foolish and wrong for us to throw that privilege and blessing aside in favor of disagreements and fighting. And Paul puts a neat bow on this chapter because this power at work within us, it can be accessible by all of humanity if they so choose. And Paul's mission was to share this gospel with the Gentiles, with all of humanity. This was his grace from God to sacrifice his life to the will of Christ in order to share life and mercy with all people.